Well, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Philippians. Chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses, uh, the, the end of 18 through verse 26. We come to a text this morning that includes one of the most quoted things that Paul said, maybe one of the most quoted things from the Bible. As we consider this text, the human will to live is incredibly strong. We've all heard stories about people who have gone to extremes to save their own lives. Even those who have cut off limbs with a pocket knife because they were pinned under a tree or a rock. Extreme circumstances. Because the desire to live will cause and even empower people to do extreme things. As you know, we will, as humans, spend money, we'll spend our time, we will eat certain foods, whether we actually would want to or not, simply to prolong our life as long as we possibly can, if at all possible. And so it's amazing to read a text like the one we're about to read today. As Paul writes from prison, chained to guards, he helps us understand better the meaning of life and the glory that comes through death for those who know Christ. And so let's stand together and follow along as I read. Beginning at the end of verse 18. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word, Lord. And we are humbled as we come to a text like this today. We're humbled. And we pray for your help. Give us understanding and Help us to hope in you alone, to glory in the cross of Christ alone. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. I want to read for you a story written and told by Pastor Kent Hughes. He tells this, several weeks before Andrew Chong A beloved physician and a former elder in the church I pastored for many years passed away. He was taken to Northwestern Hospital in Chicago to have a stent cleared of blockage. 
The procedure was invasive, and after some time, the surgeon came out and indicated that he could not go on because there was too much bleeding. He said, you'd better get your family here. You may not make it through the night. So all the children were rushed to Andrew's bedside where they gathered, weeping and saying their goodbyes. Andrew had just come out of the anesthetic, was in intense pain and unable to speak. Seeing his family's distress, he made a curious motion with his finger, which they finally understood as a request for a pen. Of late, he had been unable to write in a straight line, but now, very slowly and with intense deliberation, he wrote 12 words in a single column. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Andrew anchored the column with hallelujah. The writing of that last word took him a full minute as he made sure he spelled it correctly. And then he spoke, nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. That, that story, is the heart of this passage and the hope of the gospel. It is the hope that we have in the gospel. It was the hope for Paul. It was the hope for this former elder. It is the hope for all of us who are in Christ. There is none of us who are in Christ who cannot have that same hope and should not have that same hope in Christ. The center of the text today is that proclamation. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. In this life of yours, short as it may be or feel, what will you live for? That's the question before us today. Verse 18 ends with these words, yes, And I will rejoice. This is Paul. The section opens with a remarkable declaration of joyful confidence. Paul is confident and joyful despite his circumstances. His circumstances do not impact his joy. They do not control his joy. I will rejoice. And he's just said In that, I do rejoice, and I'll keep rejoicing. I will rejoice. Paul's written about his present joy, and then he says, I'm going to keep rejoicing. And here's why. He goes on in verse 19, 4, because I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Because I have certainty in this life. Paul is certain that through the prayers of the people and the help of the Spirit, what will happen? All of this, he says, will result in my deliverance. I will be delivered. Now, what does he mean by deliverance? We might think, well, he he means he's going to be let out of prison. That's where he's writing this from. He's chained to guards in prison. And and that is possible when we look at verses 25 and 26. 
Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Paul's confident there that he's going to go on living. We could say that what he means here by deliverance is just that, that he's going to be let out of prison. You look at verse 19 and verse 25 together, both of those say, I know, relating to or referring to the fact that he will remain in the flesh. However, it is probable that Paul means more than that. That he means final salvation by his use of deliverance. This word that he uses here is generally translated salvation and refers to the final deliverance of believers. Not only that, but he's quoting here. Paul quotes Job 13, 16 here in the Greek. Maybe he's reflecting on the life of Job, the suffering of Job as he sits here in prison. But this is a quote. In Job 13, it says this, Even if he kills me, I will hope in him. Yes, this will result in my deliverance. And we know the context of Job 13 is this, that before God, Job is saying, I will be found innocent. In this verse, Paul is relying on the prayers of the Philippians and the sufficiency of the Spirit, hoping to be sustained in the trial through their prayers and the help of the Spirit. It's a wonderful reminder for us. As Paul says, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Prayer matters and prayer works. James writes in James 5, 16, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And that doesn't mean at all that God will deliver us or others from every trial that we may face simply if we pray, but we know from the Scriptures that prayer is the normal means that God uses to provide help. For those who trust in Him, we ought to be praying. We ought to be praying for one another. We ought to be believing and asking others to pray because prayer matters. Kent Hughes says this about this verse. As Paul sat in Roman custody, he was confident that as the Philippians prayed, fresh Supplies of the Spirit of Jesus Christ would be poured into his heart, empowering him for every trial and securing his ultimate deliverance. I know, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. He goes on. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul is confident that Christ will be honored. 
honored in his body, honored through what he does, honored through his life, whether he lives or dies, I'm confident, Paul says, that Christ will be honored through me. We need to understand that when he says there, when he uses the word hope, hope that I will not be at all ashamed, it's not, it doesn't mean the same thing or used the same way as when we say hope. It's not as if when we may say something like, I really hope the Buckeyes win, or someone might say, I hope this business deal works out, or I really hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. It's not that kind of hope. When he says, as it is my eager expectation and hope, he is full of confidence. There's no uncertainty. Biblical hope is full of certainty because it is based on the truth of who God is and what he has done. There's no shadow of uncertainty in this text. I know, he says, it's my eager expectation and hope. Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul's confident that he will represent Jesus well because of the Spirit's sufficiency and the sovereignty of God. He desires to honor Christ, desires to represent Christ in the way that he lives and the way that he dies. He says, I won't be ashamed. I'm confident that I will not at all be ashamed, but Christ will be honored in my body. You think about that. To be imprisoned in Paul's day was a shameful thing. But he's confident and unashamed because he knows that God is using his imprisonment for the advancement of the gospel. It's not his own reputation that he's concerned with. It's the reputation of Jesus. We see that in this verse, right? Paul is not concerned with his own reputation. He's concerned with the reputation of Jesus Christ. I have confidence that with boldness, with courage, Christ will be honored in, in my body. I won't be ashamed. A beautiful way to live your life I'd ask you this morning, are you concerned more with your own reputation or the reputation of Jesus Christ? Think, of, think about that. Not just right this moment, but think. What am I most concerned with? The decisions that I make, the way that I live my life, am I more concerned with my own reputation than the reputation of Jesus Christ? It is my eager expectation and hope, he says, that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. It's a risky way to think sitting in prison for Christ. He goes on in verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul makes his triumphant statement here. And we should make it our own. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. 
the English translations of this actually add the verbs in. In the Greek, there are no verbs. Just simply living, Christ, dying, gain. It's like a heartbeat for Paul. Living, Christ, dying, gain. The idea of adding these verbs to help us is that of purpose and meaning and foundation and power. Living means Christ. Living depends on Christ. Living honors Christ. Living Christ, dying gain. For me, he says, for me. Paul resolved that he would live for Christ. If I go on living, it means Christ. Paul had taken up his cross to follow Christ. It's what he had written to the Galatians. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. It's Christ. Paul is not speaking of some trouble-free life here. For to me, to live is Christ, is the joyous embrace of the burdens of the cross of Jesus. Think about life. Life is short. Life is very short. You realize that more and more and more each day that passes, it just seems to go faster and faster and faster. James says it this way, it's a a mist or a vapor that is here and then it's gone. What will you do with your life? In your short life, what will you live for? What will you die for? Paul's very clear. For to me, to live is Christ. Anyone, anyone who says and believes that living is Christ can also say that dying is gain. Can also know that dying is gain. The person who truly lives for Christ, there is no sting in death. Paul says that dying is gain. We don't want to miss the significance of that. Do we truly believe that dying is gain? Paul isn't saying this as some personal, private goal and declaration. I personally want to live for Christ. He makes it his aim, and because it is that, because his aim is living for Christ, it's a public thing. His ambition was visible to others. He's sitting in prison chained because living for him is Christ. How you live demonstrates what is most important to you. Paul says, for me to live is Christ. It's Christ. It's Christ. Maybe you've heard the prayer of St. Patrick. It's fitting here in this text. He prayed this, as I arise today, may the strength of God pilot me. The power of God uphold me. 
the wisdom of God guide me. May the eye of God look before me, the ear of God hear me, the word of God speak for me. May the hand of God protect me, the way of God lie before me, the shield of God defend me, the host of God save me. May Christ shield me today, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit, Christ when I stand, Christ in the heart of everyone who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me, amen. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is is gain. It goes on for, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. What does it mean for Paul to continue in the flesh? Fruitful labor. If there is living for Christ, there is labor for Christ. That's what Paul's saying. If I live, it means fruitful labor because for me to live as Christ and continuing to live will mean fruitful labor for him. That doesn't at all mean that Paul is saying or we would think that we we might live perfectly or even close to that. We cannot do that. We needed and still need the righteousness of Christ, Christ's ability and willingness to live perfectly on our behalf. We need that credited to our account. We need it applied to us. We need His grace. We need His strength. We need it so that we're able to represent him in this world. Paul says that his grace will result in working hard for his glory, living for his glory, fruitful labor. And we don't want to misinterpret Paul's, what Paul is saying here in this text. It's not at all that Paul's saying that he's trying to escape from life. He's not trying to escape from life. He joyfully embraces the sovereign plan the Lord has for him, even in suffering. And he knows that even in the midst of suffering, his life will be filled with joy and fruitful labor. If I go on, I will live for Christ. And it will mean something. Paul's demonstrating this genuine tension and the value of both, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. He's hard-pressed to choose between two wonderful possibilities, life of fruitful labor for Christ or life of face-to-face fellowship with Christ. What would you choose? It goes on in verse 23, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. It's no surprise his preference in this. Death would mean more of what brings him joy now. Face-to-face communion with Christ. 
John writes in 1 John 3, 1 through 3, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. Dying meant being with Christ, and that was far better for Paul. Notice that Paul doesn't mention anywhere here a desire for rewards, streets of gold, mansions in heaven, seeing loved ones that have gone before, new earth. But for Christ himself, Christ himself, who is the ultimate reward. Heaven means more of Christ for Paul. Heaven is not heaven without Christ. All of those other things will be wonderful blessings, but it is Christ that makes heaven, heaven. Paul knew that. Paul desired that. 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 9. So we're always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. And so, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For those who are in Christ, death is not an enemy. It is, is a journey to the one we love. The word he uses for depart is a word that is like a ship being cast off, sailing toward its home. Death for the Christian is always far better. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. He goes on, verses 24 through 26, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Amazing. Amazing. To depart and be with Christ is far better. But Paul is not thinking of himself here. He's thinking of Christ and he's thinking of others. The heart of Paul is truly transformed by the gospel. Paul is saying this from prison, not from a beach. He's not looking out over the beauty of creation and thinking, I could get used to this. He's chained in prison. And he's motivated by love for others. Even though death is better, Paul determined that staying for the benefit of the body of Christ was necessary. To remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. I'm convinced of this. I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith 
so that Christ is glorified. I'm going to ask you this morning, are others this important to you? Are you serving others? The reason Paul wants to stay is so that others will know Christ and grow in their faith and in their joy. Is that our desire? The part of the body of Christ as you consider one another. We went through uh, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John in this resounding call to love, love, love your brothers and sisters. Is that your desire? Are those who love God, or as those who love God, can we say with Paul, for me to live is Christ, and living means fruitful labor and love for others. I confess to you, when I stand at the base of a mountainous text like this, I'm humbled. I'm humbled. I'm reminded again of the proclamation of John the Baptist. He must increase, and we must decrease. He must increase, and we must decrease. We have to pray that together. We have to seek that together. That we would be a people. Can you imagine a body of people? who would say together from our hearts for us to live as Christ and to die as gain. And therefore, to go on living in this life means fruitful labor and glory to Jesus Christ. He must increase and we must decrease. We're going to go into a time where we take the Lord's Supper and Andrew is going to play during that time. Lyrics will be up on the screen, but I want to encourage you through this time to set your hope and your heart on Christ and to pray. Lord, you must increase and I must decrease. Our hope for this kind of living and thinking is the work of Christ on the cross and in our hearts. His grace, His work, His love, His salvation. His body was broken for us. His blood poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. He's made us clean. He's made us pure. He's given us His Holy Spirit and calls us to live for Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your goodness. Thank You for Your grace. Thank You for the examples of those who have gone before us those who say and make it their life's ambition to live as Christ and to die is gain. Help us, we pray, to embrace the truth and the hope of these words, to embrace the reality of the gospel and let it play out in the way that we live. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.